0: Welcome to today's edition of the Career 100 Podcast. This series is designed to introduce students to different career options that are in demand and share the path each practitioner has taken to arrive in their current position.
1: Even though you're a restorative figure, they are still human and you don't need to be nasty. The laws that we have are the laws that we just express to the individual that we're speaking to. So, there's no threats that are needed. We don't need a threat. We have the laws behind us, and we will explain to them what the law says that we can do.
2: Hello, this is Felicia Gopal. I want to thank everyone for joining us and welcome you to today's podcast and interview. Today, we're continuing our series on the top 100 careers, and we're going to be featuring the job of a tax collector. Tax collectors are people that many people fear, however, as today's guests will share with you, there is no reason to fear a tax collector. They review tax returns, conduct audits, identify taxes owed, and collect overdue payments. They work for the federal, state, and local governments, and today's guest worked for the state of California for a number of years before she retired. Many primarily work in their office, and our guest today worked in the office as well as out in the field. Many tax examiners and collectors have a bachelor's degree, and today's guest did something a little bit different in that she was somebody who went back to school in order to work in the career. In 2010, there were about 74,500 jobs as tax examiners, collectors, and revenue agents combined, and that job is expected to grow by about 7% until 2020. The role of the tax collector is expected to slow down over that time period, but the role and the demand for tax enforcement is expected to increase, particularly at the state and federal levels. Today's guest is Sheila Wisdom. She was employed by the State of California for 39 years. Her first 13 years were with the Department of Motor Vehicles, and the remainder of her 26 years was with the Board of Equalization in the Sales and Use Tax Division. She became a business tax representative in 1986 in the San Jose office. While she was there, she assisted taxpayers to understand and apply the tax rules, regulations administered by the state of California and in their business situation, assisting them in filing their returns holding revocation hearings, and collecting delinquent taxes. Part of her job description was to travel throughout the Santa Clara County to business location, checking with various different businesses, like those that exhibit and show at flea markets, booths at county flares to confirm all businesses held valid sellers permits and answer any questions that individuals might have. Eventually she moved to Sacramento where she worked in the out-of-state district office working with taxpayers who were located outside of the state of California but doing business with the state. All of her job duties were the same except she no longer traveled to their business site. The same tax rules, regulations, and administrated by California applied to their businesses in some places. She had to verify the business entity had some sort of presence or nexus in California. Friends, our guest today is Sheila Wisdom. So Sheila, could you tell me a little bit about how you came to be a tax collector?
1: Well, I actually started with the state of California working at the Department of Motor Vehicles. I was issuing driver's licenses and registration for vehicles. I worked there as part-time as a part-time mother and part-time working, maybe 30 hours a month, sometimes 20 hours a month. And I enjoyed my job. I worked at different locations. It appeared that I needed to get a full-time job, So, I looked for different agencies to go to. Board of Equalization had an opening at that time, so I transferred to the board and worked for them. I was called a program technician that was waiting on taxpayers that come in to either get new permits for businesses or add locations or change their addresses just to ask questions, anything like that. I worked as a technician for... Six years and then I went to school. I, one of the people in my office was a tax rep and I enjoyed watching what they did. So, I went to school at night time and took the test for tax rep and was appointed the position. That was back in the 80s. It was great. I enjoyed it very much.
2: Well, I think you are taking a very different path than a lot of the people that I interview on this series, in that you're somebody who was working in another career field and made the transition by going back to school. And I think that that's something that a lot of students and um, maybe their parents even will have to do in their lifetime. They're saying nowadays that people will have, you know, multiple different careers in their lifetime of work. And I think that you are a prime example of somebody who has done that.
1: Yes, yes, I did. I was trying to balance two children if we're going into their teenage years and a full-time job at the same time. I was going to take in one class a semester. So it was a challenge back in those
2: days. Well, it's a challenge, I think, back in those days, as well as today. I remember my mother very similarly was going to school at the same time I was a teenager, and she was basically getting her undergraduate degree, and then she went back and followed that up with a master's degree. And I just remember, you know, her wanting to have her spend time with me, but she had other commitments because getting the education that she needed in order to go for the job was equally important to the family. And And, you know, as a student, as a kid, you just had to respect that. And I can appreciate the sacrifice that you ended up making for your family in order to be prepared for your new position. Yes. It
1: was fun because sometimes my son and I would sit down at
2: the table and do our homework together. He was always faster than I was. You know, I understand that. So let me ask you, what sorts of problems does a tax collector solve or deal with, if it might be another way to ask the question?
1: We're dealing with companies that have, and I say companies in general, could be an individual that has gone into business for themselves, that they need a seller's permit to sell something tangible, could be someone that went into a service business and on a very rare occasion they would be selling something that's tangible. It could be partners, companies, corporations, LLCs, anybody that is selling something tangible that they need a seller's permit for. They would need advice on how to operate the business as far as the law and the collection of the sales tax, sales and use tax. So my job was to inform them when they came in to get their permit or if they happen to call and ask a question, I was informing them how to operate it, as far as how to apply the tax law to what they're doing. Also, they need to be aware that they have to keep a separate bank account for the sales tax that they're collecting. You don't want to put it together because it will get sent somewhere else. And that was the, uh, the largest problem for the smaller companies to be aware of. The larger companies have the same problem. but mostly the, the smaller companies because as a startup, you usually don't have that much capital and it, it's commingled. But so the biggest problem is to make them aware that the sales tax that they're collecting is not their tax. It's not their money. It is an actual tax that they owe to the state. You know, kind of a representative of the state. They're collecting it on behalf of the state of California. But it isn't their money that they need to return to the state of California. I think that's the biggest problem was making the people aware. When it came time for the sales tax to be due, they didn't have the money. It was spent elsewhere. It was spent to keep the company going for whatever reason. We tried to encourage them that... They had to set the money aside in order to be able to pay it when it comes due. I think that was the the biggest problem was trying to make the people aware of that. Even though uh, money is short, they can't dig into the sales tax. It's just, it is not their money to spend.
2: You know, I mean, as a small business owner, I know that one of the biggest things that I've run into as a financial planner or as a small business owner is understanding that there are different pots for different commitments. And, you know, especially in the state of California, well, probably not just in the state of California, probably in every revenue-starved state in the United States, you know, it's really important to keep your finances separate, your personal stuff from your business stuff. Your business stuff is separated into, you know, monies that's going to pay for payroll, monies that is going to pay for sales tax, and monies that are used to continue to build and develop your corporation, your company. And I think that that's an important factor for business owners to kind of deal for Because here in the state of California, there are repercussions if they don't do that, aren't there?
1: Yes, there are. There's many repercussions. And being, working for the state of California, you have more options and capabilities of collecting the money. Whereas working out as a tax collector out in the general public, they don't have the same opportunities that we have. The same options. We have the capability of filing lien without having to go to court. We have the capability of enforcing it in other ways. We can put wage attachments. We have the capability of what we call them taps, and that's where we would have one of our people would go into a business and we would be taking the sheriff or local police with us and as the people are taking the money in from their customers, we have the capability of taking that money at that point. We have other ways of collecting besides doing the earnings withholding. We can also take called revocation. We can also revoke their seller's permit. If they do not file and pay the tax at the time, then they're operating illegally and then we have the capability of taking them to court and there are fines and there is also jail time. Let me back up a little bit. If there is a tax liability that the company or person, individual, partners, they're all liable 100%. If there's a liability out there, we try and work with them at the very beginning. We listen to them. That's the biggest thing is listening to the individual that you're speaking to. You do have to have some compassion, too. It, 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 times are tough. Um, right. You want to be sure that they do understand that this is something that is due now. It's not due in payments. It's due in full. But we will work with them we have the opportunity of giving them putting them on a payment schedule. And as long as they're doing a payment schedule on a timely manner, then there's no collection procedures that we all agree with until they cease making their payments. And then it is anything we can do to get the money. And we have a lot of capabilities of searching for assets. We have the capability of seizing assets and selling them. But once they adhere to the installment program, totally then there's no collection action. And once they file a lien against them, and a lot of times a lien is automatically filed when they hit a certain dollar amount that they owe. A the lien is automatically filed, and once the liability is paid, then we send them out a release of lien. But the lien goes against their credit. So, it's not something that, you know, we'd like to do, but unfortunately, it's a provision that we have to assure that we do get the money that is due. Should the company uh, or individual file bankruptcy, we need to be aware of that so that we can put in our... Creditor claim? Right, creditor claim, sorry. We put our creditor's claim in for the bankruptcy, so we need to be aware so that we can stop our collection procedures. Like everyone else, we have to back off on doing any type of collection. And we go through the courts on the collection as far as the bankruptcy goes. So we do collect, we do accept credit cards for payments. So we try and encourage the company or individual to try and seek out getting the payment elsewhere, whether it is a personal loan, whether it's a business loan, whether it's a loan for loan company, person, a family member, however they can get the money, we do encourage them. The banks usually have a lower interest rate than we do, but that is, again, another option for them. If they cannot pay, we do take a financial report from them, besides looking into their financial assets ourselves, if they have absolutely nothing and... and they just really destitute there is an offer and compromise that we will take into consideration. And that offer and compromise it takes a while to go through, but it is another option.
2: So it sounds like that the state of California has got lots of different opportunities and will try and work with taxpayers for a period of time until it gets to the point where the state of California really feels like they need to have some sort of sanctions put in place. So, you know, very similar and probably to some of the enforcement issues that people are concerned about with the IRS, the fact that you can do wage garnishments. I was surprised, as you were sharing, that you could also be standing next to their cash register as they're collecting revenues to make sure you get yours. So it definitely sounds like, you know, some of the problems or some of the the issues that uh, tax collectors deal with when they're working for the state of California are probably very unique to working for a governmental institution. Yeah, yeah. Um. So are... Th- are there any misconceptions about being a tax collector? I mean, I think we've all seen some movie where, you know, there's a tax collector who's basically abusing their authority. I would imagine that that's probably a pretty common misconception. But are there other misconceptions or myths that you could share with us? I think that the biggest
1: thing is we're not hardcore, we are human, we are understanding. And that goes a long way. If you're understanding with the individual that you're speaking with, you don't have to be harsh. You don't have to be demanding as far as this is my way and that's it. It's just a human relationship that you're going to try. And even though you're an restorative figure, they are still human. And you don't need to be nasty. You don't need to be threatening The laws that we have are the laws that we just express to the individual that we're speaking to. That's just a fact. So there's no threats that are needed. And I think the people that call and are collecting for some type of a bad debt can be very threatening to you. And like I say, we don't need to threaten. We have the laws behind us and we will explain to them what the law says that we can do. So, there's no need to be a threatening type person or to have a bad attitude when we're speaking to the individual. I think that's the, when they hear a tax collector, again, this tax is something that you have collected over and above what the cost of that product was that you are selling. So, it is not included in part of your expenses it's over and above all of your expenses that you have it is something that does not belong to you it is something that you are collecting for the state of california
2: i think that that's clear because i think that oftentimes if you've never dealt with a tax collector you may liken them to a bill collector you know, who's calling you at all hours, calling you on the job, you know, threatening you, threatening to call your friends. I mean, I, you know, I used to be on the board of directors for a consumer credit counseling agency. And one of the things that I heard commonly from the people who were in the workshops that I taught at is they would tell the horror stories. You know, it's just like before I called consumer credit counseling, they would be calling me at all hours. They would call me every other hour. They would, you know, they would threaten to call me on my job. They would call me on my job. They found out my phone number. They found out my mother's phone number. And they would just keep calling, you know. And it's just like when you are in a position of authority like you were, there's no reason to go there. You could just have a conversation, and it's just like, I understand that you're experiencing some trouble in your finances, but the law says that I can do X, Y, Z, you know. So you could just state it. I mean, it's really just a stated fact because you have broad enforcement and authority, as well as there are penalties and even jail time, that can arise from this person's failure to give to the state of California money that is due.
1: Correct. Right. Absolutely correct. But can I add something? Sure. um, Back to when we were talking about the collection, when I had made the comment about we can file liens, against the property, it would be personal property or real property that we would file a lien against. The lien stays attached to you as the individual, of course, but it gets attached to the real property or it can get attached to the tangible property. And there is seizures involved if it got to that point where we needed to get because now you're starting to liquidate, we would go in and seize the property and sell it. We have been known to put our claim into the sale of a home so we would be getting paid first. We have been known to go in and seize vehicles, buses, airplanes, anything that is tangible that is included either in your business or as a personal We have the capability of seizing and selling to satisfy the tax liability that you have established. I just wanted to make that clear.
2: I appreciate you making that clear, but the reality is, long before you get to that point, you would have been trying to work with the taxpayer. So it's not like you start at, let me seize your account. There has been some communication back and forth, which has either started and stopped or been ignored or any of those sorts of actions that have happened before. And, you know, I think that... One of the advice that I always give somebody who is struggling with debt or whatever kind of issues is just be in contact with the person on the other side of the fence, because oftentimes they're willing to work with you. It's when you ignore them that you are really in a situation where things can escalate and escalate much faster, because... The fact that you're putting your head in the sand is not the solution, and it's not going to make it go away. When sales tax is due, sales tax is due. It's not one of those obligations that's going to fall off your credit report or any of those sorts of things. It is something that is due, and the state of California is going to come after you nicely at first, but it can change over time if you choose to continue to ignore, as well as it could get to the point where if they find that you really just don't have any assets, you've sunk all of your money, all your assets into whatever you've sunk them into, then, you know, there's also the opportunity for offering compromise. So there's lots of different stages that people can go through, and there's lots of different options. And so I just wanted to really leave a listener, with the fact that this is something that happens over a period of time, would you say two years or longer? Oh, there's no time frame. We work with
1: people until the debt is cleared. Okay. Um, but we are also monitoring debt, however long that period is, we are monitoring, making sure that they still have these assets that we had discovered at the very, very beginning of the liability being due. We do our asset check at the very beginning of every account because we don't know what the end result is going to be. So whether it's small or large, we've already done our background check. So that those assets, as long as they're out there, that lien is out there. And if they try to sell anything, then we would be getting our money or our fair share of that sale. But you are absolutely correct, we do not do any of this, we do want communications. We want that line of communication open constantly. If you're going to be a day late, call because we don't know you're going to be just one day late. We just know you didn't pay. So, whatever the circumstances are, you've got to keep that line of communication open. We are flexible when, like I said, we're not hardcore, we are very flexible. We
2: just want you to know that money is due to the state of California. We don't back down. Got it. So let me ask you, you talked about going back to school in order to work in the position that you were working in. Is that a requirement for working for the state of California that you need to have a particular degree? Does it need to be in a particular subject? Uh, Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yes. I just had... uh, high school diploma. I did not have any college background in working for the state of California for this particular position. I needed to have some experience, but I also needed to have the education, and the education was four college courses. There would be two in accounting, one in business law, and one in business math or economics. So, I went to school Being that um, I was older. It had been a long time since I had done any type of homework, so I needed to get back into the groove of going back to school. So, I took a lighter course from my very first one to get me back into doing homework. And then the courses that you were supposed to be taking is there's two professional level courses in accounting or intermediate accounting, then there's a business law or commercial law, and then the business math, English, or economics. So you needed those courses. Those are minimum for this particular position. If you have no experience, then you need more of the education, which would be two years of college. Again, does have to be some business education in that college
2: credit. Okay. So it wasn't necessary in your position to have a baccalaureate. Is that correct? That is correct.
1: Correct You do have to have some experience in some type of collection. If you have some experience, whether it be with the Board of Equalization, another agency that has some type of collection entity, but not collections from the outside of the state that would be the only kind of experience that you could have would be some type of
2: collection from another state agency. All right. So it sounds like it's very specific and they've got their own requirements for what it is that they are looking for. And that's that's common in pretty much any position out there. So if you had the opportunity to give a young Sheila advice based on what you know today about going into your profession, what would you tell yourself?
1: I would be a little more skeptical nowadays, trying to go to work for the state, only because of what is going on right now. They're trying to cut down on the pensions. They're trying to cut out the pensions. They're trying to slim down on the benefits. So it's not as, I don't want to use the word luxurious, but it isn't now.
2: It's not Um, as assured as it has been in the past. Is that a good word for it? Yeah,
1: it's not as assured now as it was in the past. Working for the state, I I still think, is a, a good thing if you are able to get on it. It's just not as beneficial as it was in the past. So as far as layoffs, they have layoffs also. As far as career changes, you still do have the capability of the career changes. So that is a plus. I don't think I would change anything. If I had the opportunity now, knowing what the state is going through, I still would try and get on with the state of California. But I would just be aware of what their problems are that they are going through.
2: You know, I I think that that's something that's, Students and anybody who is listening to this could benefit from because sometimes if you just kind of look out at the horizon and what's going on in your field, you can know that perhaps I'm going to need to beef up this particular thing or that particular thing. And the reality is sometimes you're going to have to do it on your own dime in order to be prepared for the opportunities. I remember when I was pursuing my latest certificate in college counseling, I did a report where they said that based on the number of the kids that are graduating from college, we are gonna be about 25 million people short of the jobs that are available versus the people who have the degrees to fill them. And I think sometimes if you just kind of look out into the future, not just staying your day-to-day, sometimes you can see the clouds on the horizon. If your industry is shifting more towards outsourcing or the benefits that you have been given and have been expecting are starting to be, really compromised or they're really starting to look at that then it's really a good opportunity and I really invite our audience to kinda keep that in mind and perhaps be looking for and adding to their skill set so that if there are layoffs, and many people have gone through layoffs, they are in the best position to put their uh, best foot forward. Sheila, I remember I was sharing with you about the fact that my mother got a degree when the base that she was working at was closing and her colleague did not. And so when the base closed, her colleague was now in her 40s and 50s without a degree versus my mother who now had two degrees. And so if you know something is happening in your industry in terms of the benefits they're providing or whatever, that doesn't mean that you don't go into the industry, but it does mean that you need to be cognizant and aware of how it will affect you, not just today, but how it might affect you you know, five years, 10 years, if you're getting started with the state of California, I imagine at some point, and this is my own guesstimation, at some point they're going to change. So if you were a new employee, you're going to be in a 401k as opposed to the pension plan. It just makes more sense for the state of California And if that's the case, then that means that your retirement is going to be up to you. It's not going to be up to the state of California. And I think that that's something that somebody who is considering coming into the industry might need to be aware of.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely true. Working for the state of California now, it would be a little bit concerning. They are laying off. Unfortunately, the people that are helping the public, and it's not just at the board, it's just about all of the agencies, unfortunately are cutting the help off to the people, the public, the general public. And they're doing more automation. Everything is being done online. So there is not that personal contact as there was in the past, everything is revolving now around computers. Everything is either online or it's on the telephone and you're eliminating a lot of personal contact so again it depends on the field that you go into as to what it's going to revolve around or it's going to revolve into you know.
2: But as I said, I think that's a common trend. I mean, it's certainly happening in the state of California, the layoffs, the moving more towards automation, removing the personal element. Um, Certainly, it seems like it's happening in banking. It's happening in personal finance. It's happening in a lot of different, different areas. And I think it's something that people need to be aware of if you're not somebody who is comfortable working uh, with computers, that is going to be something that will work against you. If you were looking for a job in your job, I'd imagine if you're not a people person, that would not be something that would be favorable because you're working with taxpayers. So, uh, you know, I imagine that that would also be a deficit. So I think that really one of the things that I'd like to kind of have people understand about this particular uh, field is there is is a large customer service element involved. And somebody who is not good with people is probably not somebody who would be good in this position.
1: Correct, absolutely correct. I know nowadays that I'm in talking to some of my coworkers that you can apply for these types of permits online. You do not have to go actually to the office itself. You could mail in applications. But you can just actually do it online, the whole interview. And that's different. I don't know whether I would have liked that when I was working. I'm a people person. I need to have the contact with the individual. That's what I enjoyed the most
2: no I, I completely understand because it is the people element it's one of the reasons why I, I moved from accounting to personal finance and into college planning is with those transitions I ended up getting more and more contact with people and for me like yourself that was something that was very very attractive. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, we talked a little bit about some of the changes that were going on in the industry, especially working for the state of California. Uh, We talked about the fact that they're asking people to contribute more to their retirement. They're asking people to contribute more to their benefits. They're talking about perhaps taking away or reducing retiree benefits. Is there any other things that are kind of going on with the state of California that were affecting your position that people would need to be aware of?
1: I'm not aware of anything in in my position. I know that they still need tax representatives out there, different agencies call them, but there's still people that need advice, and that's something that you can't get online. You need to speak to an individual. Uh, especially in the sales tax, sales and use tax, you can read what the law says, but until it's actually explained to you in layman's terms, you're not going to understand it. The law on sales tax sometimes applies differently, so it's just not black and white. It's sometimes a little confusing. Take the food industry. The food industry, you can buy that ice cream cone and not pay a sales tax or you can buy that ice cream cone and pay sales tax depending on how the product is, how the ice cream cone is sold, where it's sold. So, there's a lot of variations. It's not all black and white. So, there is still the need to talk to someone before the auditor gets there or do you need a tax representative, that first step? I'm not sure if that answered your question
2: or not. It did. So why do you think that being a tax collector is on the list of the top 100 careers?
1: I still think that you need that tax representative out there. You need to ask questions concerning your type of business. Without that knowledge... In the event you are audited for any of those agencies you need to know what the law is and how it is applied to the nature of your business. I don't think that they can cut back on those. That would be a very disservice to the public whether it be for the IRS or the Franchise Tax Board or any other taxing agency. You need to have that verbal contact with the individual know if you're doing or how you're doing, what you're doing
2: is correct by the law. You know, I really completely agree, you know, because I'm a small business owner and while I don't collect any sales tax, I know that at different points in the process of being in business, I've had questions about Do I need this? Do I need that? And I'm not a, I mean, I will search for an answer on the Internet, but then I'm always going to want to talk to somebody about, well, how does that apply to my situation? And it seems to me that your role as working for the Franchise Tax Board meant that you were one of those people that I could reach out to and talk to, to clarify the question as it relates to my situation. Because as you stated earlier, you know, taxes unfortunately are not black and white. Correct.
1: Correct. They're not. So. And, and like I say, by reading the law, it doesn't say, but if you do this, this applies this way. But if you do it this way, it applies this way. Just a, a little gray area in a lot of places. And, a it, lot of so and, it's
2: and it's only by talking with like a person like yourself that you can really make that distinction because the Internet will have everything in black and white. So let me ask you, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with us today? It's a
1: scary world out there. No, <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm retired. I don't have any... I have sympathy for the young people nowadays. I mean, this is just between me and me. Uh, it's just scary out there. Anybody who's starting out, I feel so sorry for my grandchildren.
2: And, and why is you, that?
1: Yeah, like you had said earlier, there's more people than there are jobs. Mm. They're doing away with so many jobs that I don't know what's going to happen to my grandchildren when they get to that age. And they're already starting. i got some that are in college that have changed their field a couple of times because of, you know, closing,
2: because of jobs. Well, I guess I'm kind of optimistic about that. I think that students will benefit from a series like this so that they can make more informed decisions about what they go into. So oftentimes, you know, and this is just my feeling, so oftentimes we encourage our children to just do what you feel. But I think that in this day and time, there needs to be a little bit of pragmatism built into the decisions on what you do after you graduate in terms of, you know, is the field that you're going into going to be able to provide you with a job? Will the industry that you're thinking about going into be around in five years, ten years? Will you be gaining some skills that you'll be able to take into another field because I think what is important is the training that you develop in college and perhaps the relationships you developed in college that will provide you the opportunities that will grow out of that first job. You know, being able to tap into your alumni network. I know that my husband is heavily involved in his alumni network, and he got the job that he got because somebody had posted the job in his alumni network, knew him, and thought he was a good fit for it. So I think the opportunities will be from being trained and understand the field that you're thinking about going it, as well as developing good skills and maintaining relationships and developing relationships. It's something that... I don't know that schools necessarily emphasize, but it's something that I talk to my girls about all the time. My girls are pretty young. I've got an eight-year-old and an 11-year-old, so, you know, I'm going to blink my eyes, and the next thing I know, they're going to be going off to college, and, you know, I talk to them about this stuff, not just because I do this all the time, but because I think it's important for them to think about it, and it's not that I don't want them to become actors or actresses or whatever that is, but, you know, I see still remember that conversation with my father when I was picking majors I was a legal studies major and he was just like well what does one do with a legal studies well you go to law school and he's just like well what do you do if you don't go to law school and I was just saying uh, and he goes perhaps you should yeah. take some accounting classes because yeah. you can always work as an accountant and the first 10 years after I graduated that's exactly what I did I worked as an accountant for the first 10 years so mm-hmm. um, you know never did any really with the legal, except that, you know, it's something that I'm always interested in. Uh, Well, Sheila, I have to thank you. Thank you very much for your time today. I think that you gave a different perspective. I really love the fact that you are somebody who went back to school to change careers so that you could be prepared and able to make the jump from working from the DMV to the Board of Equalization. And I appreciate your time today. So thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you. I enjoyed this very much.
2: All right. I'm glad you did, and I enjoyed it too. Thank you. To learn more about the college planning process, I invite you to visit our website, collegefundingresource.com. I also encourage my listeners to keep coming back to listen to more of our Career 100 podcast. If you like our podcast, I invite you to go to our iTunes channel and rate our podcast. That's how we can get the word out to more and more listeners by having more and more ratings. So I appreciate those people who have already gone in and rated the iTunes, and I invite those people who are listening and have gotten value from this to also go into iTunes and rate it. At College Funding Resource, you'll be able to listen to guests like Sheila for free, who have valuable information to share about the different careers that you might want to consider in your future. I want to also thank all of my listeners for joining us today and hope you will join me again for the next installment of the Career 100 podcast.
0: Thank you for listening to today's edition of the Career 100 podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next podcast, where we'll continue to interview experts in the top 100 careers for 2011, giving you the insider's view of their chosen profession. If you'd like more information about planning and saving for college, and to instantly download your free copy of College Funding Resources Report, five strategies that parents need to start using today to cut their college costs tomorrow, visit www.collegefundingresource.com. That's www.collegefundingresource.com. This is Kathy Davis for the Career 100 Podcast.